Welcome to the podcast Studio Stein, Inspiring Leadership. I learned in my life the importance of being inspired by others and to be surrounded by people who bring you new insights and perspectives. That is the way to grow as a leader and human being in challenging and changing times. In this podcast series, I bring you the latest innovations on personal development and leadership told from business managers, CEOs, spiritual leaders, and people who live their true story. our brain and is the author of six best-selling popular books including the no-nonsense meditation book that you can find in an english version version and even more it is uh, as i understood it well Stephen, it has been translated into 17 languages that is uh, is that okay that's what i read uh, found out somewhere if it's not okay well everybody knows english so that is also good and in his work at the university hospital he studies the brain of buddhist monks at least astronauts, serial entrepreneurs, and he's using neurotechnology and brain scanning to measure the effect of meditation, sleep hypnosis, trance, dreaming, uh, anesthetics, psychedelics, and the power of the mind. He has many international assignments at universities in Boston, Canada, China, and Europe. And for his work, he has received many awards amongst from the European Academy of Neurologists. Just to mention one of them, I found so much information on you, uh, Stephen, that it would take me only one hour to have a proper introduction. So I hope you're satisfied with this small one. Uh, But just to mention how I really am honored to have you here because the work that you do and what you present uh, on meditation and on brain work is I think of an utmost importance to human well-being. And so in this podcast, we will explore uh, about the functioning of the brain, why meditation is a, such a powerful tool, can be used by everybody, and how important it is to have a mental state in a life in a good mental state in a life where we are bombarded and overloaded with information. So Stephen, uh, thank you very much again. And well, my first question is, I was very intrigued by the way that you uh, were introduced in, the, in this work of meditation. And I would really love you to share the story because you were uh, you became a neurologist and then you had this kind of an incident, an accident, and it changed your life. Can you, what, what happened actually? You worked very hard and, and now you're busy with meditation. What, what happened in your life that you are at this point now? Oh, thank you, Stan, uh, for this very nice introduction. So well, in the book, I summarize how indeed this is now uh, over 10 years ago. I was going through a separation and was alone with three young kids. So then you uh, think about, well, how could this happen mm. to me? And... Um, anticipating what would happen and how um, challenging it would be to combine um, my work in the hospital university with raising the kids and uh, catastrophizing and it kept me awake at night uh, made me anxious so what do you do you 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 drink alcohol and smoke and I took mm. sleeping pills and antidepressants it wasn't the inspiring that I wanted to be and then I started to do uh, yoga, mm-hmm. 
and shortly after met um, an exceptional uh, person, Mathieu Ricard, mm. um, that was in Paris, where he gave a TEDx on meditation. He's a translator of the Dalai Lama. He's one of the rock stars of, of Buddhism. Uh, wrote a number. He's called the happiest books. man on earth, no? Yes, that uh, a journalist gave him that mm. uh, label. He he doesn't like it, uh, <laughs> but but uh, from that meeting where I give a, a TEDx on, on mm. consciousness and the brain, and so um, we we started to talk, and he invited me to a retreat, which was the first European Mind and Life uh, retreat. It was an eye opener for me, Stan, and. Then I wanted to understand more about what meditation does mm. to the brain. So I invited Mathieu, Mathieu Ricard, back to our lab in, in, in Liège. And so he was just a super guinea pig and we put him on all the machines. And, and that's also <laughs> what I summarize in, in the book. It's what the past uh, 20 years um, has learned us in terms of the um, yeah changes that um, are observed in, in the brain mm. and the structure and the function in people who meditate. Mm. Beautiful. And I, in, in the book, you describe the process and you have beautiful pictures how Mathieu Ricard is in with, with all this technical stuff on his head. And maybe uh, what is the difference between his brain, the brain of a meditative monk or monks, or people who have, for that matter, uh, a really tranquil state of mind that they learn through meditation, and somebody who doesn't. What what is the difference between a, a, a trained, mindful, uh, meditative brain and a non-meditative brain? So, well, first of all, Stan, of course, we, we have very different lives. Huh? We were mm. not... I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not a Buddhist. I'm definitely not a monk, um, neither a Zen master. So uh, it's important to stress that we started there because this kind of the extreme, he's got yeah. thousands and thousands of meditation behind him. But the studies show that if, if anyone starts to do this, we would basically also see these changes occurring after like eight weeks of, of meditation. And... Um, well, the brain is very plastic, so um, if if you start training your attention, what basically uh, that's that's what meditation is about. It's it's kind of mental mm -hmm. gymnastics. Um, so you learn to train your focus and um, pointing you your attention to one thing, and then you would see uh, changes in the structure of the brain. So there is one part called the anterior cingulate cortex name is not so important it's in the front mm -hmm. um, in the middle and that is like the um, um, director of the orchestra it's really critical in um, you deciding where to attend mm. um, your focus or attention and we we see then if we measure like with MRI brain scans um, the structure of the gray matter that that part of the brain is just increasing in volume. Mm. Um, we also see changes in the hippocampus, which is important for memory. 
we see changes in um, what is called the insula, it's deep inside of the brain, and that's critical in what many functions, uh, but also in what we call cognitive flexibility, which is, by the way, something very important also for entrepreneurs, that's what we recently published. So it's how you deal with a changing reality. Mm -hmm. Things do not go according to plan. But you can, of course, and that's actually the favorite exercise of Mathieu Ricard, train your empathy, your compassion, uh, and then you see changes yeah. in the emotional network, um, how the prefrontal uh, areas connect to uh, structures like the amygdala. Um, so there's a, a number of areas that really would change both their structure, and we see that with uh, the brain scans, and, and also the connectivity. So the brain is these thousands of, of it's billions um, of brain cells, but yeah. most importantly, thousands of billions of connections we call mm -hmm. the white matter. So, for example, we also show, uh, observed that the connections between the left and the right part of the brain mm -hmm. um, are, are increased. So there's like mm -hmm. more highways making sure that the information mm -hmm. can flow. So if you see all these changes in structures um, and, and the effects that it, has, that it has on the brain itself, how does that... Um, how does is that shown or manifested in what you do or how you feel? Does it um, in what terms or in what what is the result of the meditation or the changing the changing of your mind? What what does it bring you in life? So it depends why you start to meditate. Huh? So mm -hmm. um, if you do this to train your focus, to to be less distracted, this is one mm -hmm. thing or you do this to increase creativity, or to become a better human being, train your compassion, that would um, uh, result in different exercises and so different changes in, in yeah. the neural networks. Um, so attention is a key word, and, and of course also um, learning to create some distance from mm. your thoughts, your perceptions, your emotions. Um, and there's different ways to do that. Um, my favorite is breathing meditation, so we just focus on the breathing. And then you learn to somehow let go of these thoughts mm. and not to uh, cling uh, to them, to, to um, hang on and, and just let them pass. Uh, which can be very powerful and, and helps you to deal with stress or mm. anxiety. Um, but you can also do this with emotions. So if you just, through meditation, learn that um, emotions come and go and you are not that um, anger, you can just learn to already just verbalize, I feel anger or I mm. feel sadness, then you are already a little bit less um angry or or um, it's the the, the non-identification part you you're not identifying yourself anymore exactly with the emotion so, yeah absolutely so you create mm. some distance um and so we see that in in how the brain is is wired and, and yeah. is reacting to different situations and you would of course also feel it um now, as a neuroscientist, of course, we want to see things, and yeah. that's why we map um, the, the, the brain changes we call neuroplasticity. But the most 
important is of course why do I do this and then you will for yourself mm -hmm. find what is the best exercise yeah. and, and how that impacts indeed your uh, daily life and mm -hmm. um, how is, as we said you, you deal with the reality that mm -hmm. of course is, is ever changing and your yeah. brain is very flexible um, and you can indeed uh, train to um, overcome better those mm. kinds of obstacles. Is, is this something, because sometimes I uh, I do exercises when, when I train management teams or coach management teams on, I do meditative exercises with them. And often I give them 21 days of practice, you know, exercises. And what I hear often is, you know, I can't do it because it stresses me out. You know, then I, I suddenly see all these things that I need to do. So I stop meditating and I start doing it. And uh, also with my mother, sometimes she's sometimes anxious or stressed. And I said, go and meditate a little bit. And she said, no, I get, I get even more nervous when I meditate, you know. And I was just very, two questions, curious about what is the reaction of the brain when you start meditating? It's, is this a kind of a, um, a resistance? And secondly, the neuroplasticity that you mentioned, is that, can you even change your mind or your brain when you're getting older? Like, for example, my mother, she's 75. Is it still worthwhile or it's manageable at a later age to start meditating? Is, can, you, can you elaborate a little bit on those two questions? Yeah, so the first question... Um how in the beginning you can yeah. go through different uh, phases and indeed yeah. if uh, you just sit down and um, start to do your breathing or whatever meditation yeah. exercise um, sometimes this continuous stream of thoughts um, you become more aware of it it's what we call the monkey mind eh? you mm. jump from one thought to the other and emotions and perceptions yeah. Uh, it just doesn't stop and, and, and it can indeed be that while you're busy um, it's uh, less clear and, and, and in the beginning of meditation then suddenly it's, it's overwhelming like whoa, mm, exactly. here yeah. I am sitting still yeah. and there's just this, this um, uh, firework of, of thoughts mm, uh, yeah all over the place uh, but that's that's often um, a transition so mm. so then you learn that um, okay you have this monkey mind and um, you you find your ways to kind of tame it and and mm. um, uh, it's worthwhile to um, well know that this is uh, often and for many people uh, observed in the beginning yeah. and then of course you see how uh, you can learn to deal differently with these yeah. uh, overwhelming thoughts and the second question about uh, age definitely I think meditation um, can be uh, appreciated at any age there's even um, a number of studies now and one is ongoing and, and we're part of it showing that meditation can be very good for people 
who are older um, and who might also start to have some memory problems, uh, even uh, studies in people who are known to be at risk for Alzheimer's dementia okay. show that like an eight-week uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction course mm -hmm. really has an impact on the activity of the brain, helps you build up reserve, cognitive reserve. And we could, again, sh see that in, in our studies. So we injected radioactive sugar because your brain uses a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, and at a certain age, this, what we call metabolic activity is um, declining. It's just part of normal aging and it gets worse, of course, in um, degenerative dementia. Mm. And it's been shown that, that uh, mindfulness can um, delay that process. So, so it's really, uh, again, an example of how neuroimaging documents the positive impact of uh, meditation practices, uh, mm -hmm. uh, especially in people uh, who have uh, a certain age. Yeah, well, I'm very interested by that topic because also in the book you mentioned, um, you know, we all do physical training to maintain our body and that we don't do enough of our uh, brain training. And so if you make the comparison, okay, uh, you do physical training for your body and you do meditation for your brain to maintain your brain. Does it also require more effort when you grow older? To Because I noticed I just got 50 that to have, to maintain the same kind of muscles, I, it's, it's not as easy as then I was 25. Does it also work like this for the brain, for meditation? When to, Or is that a different kind of... of of work that you do so you could you could compare meditation to sport and there's mm. different practices yeah and and of course well you know you win olympic medals when you're young huh? mm. um, that's just reality and and uh people who win a nobel prize very often it's for things they did in their 20s 30s uh but when you get older um, and that's then maybe different for the brain as compared to to your um, the rest of your body and your muscles especially it's you you get experience and so um i i definitely think it's um possible and and uh we should encourage uh, meditative practices in people who are mm. getting older um as of course we should encourage them to uh, stay physically active. Huh? Mm -hmm. um, and um, we're all different. So, so uh, some people might worry because uh, meditation is sometimes seen as, okay, sitting cross-legged mm -hmm. and, and I can't do this because I have pain in my back or my knees or hips, whatever. Uh, so, be reassured you can just do this sitting on a chair um, no need to be uh, folded in in lotus or or whatever it's um, definitely possible at any age also for children by the way you just of course will adapt to first of all the, the um, interests and and the the, the realities of, of mm -hmm. that of that person but uh, it's um, definitely a good idea. 
to mm -hmm. do meditation mm -hmm. and to train these attentional networks and yeah. um, mm -hmm. to stay sharp um, intellectually. In, in your book, you mention also uh, find find your um, your way of meditating. You know, in, in these days, you can find heaps of trainings and courses on, on meditation. You have transcendental meditation. You have the breathing meditation that you mentioned, one-pointed focused, one-point focus meditation, or there is a lot of kind of, 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 of different types of meditation. Is there any kind uh, research done on, on the effects of different types of meditation? Or would you say, um, just find out what fits you best? Or it's, it's, it's like a, a big uh, jungle now uh, on, on what to do with meditation? so so indeed again it's it's a little bit like physical exercise you can decide mm. to go running or swimming uh biking playing tennis whatever um so uh yeah as you said just give it a try depending also on your needs so there's a difference if people are doing this uh, as cognitive training or if you do this um, for becoming more compassionate, loving kindness will uh, be different than breathing or uh, transcendental meditation, where um, both will will you know be using attentional training. But but of course the the aim is different. Um, I, I don't think the, the message is that one is better than the other, mm. like breathing meditation, definitely a lot of uh, research there, and, and it's also my favorite, but in, in Flanders, for example, transcendental meditation, which is focusing your attention on a mantra, mm. which is also yeah. a bit comparable to praying, uh, yeah. repeating just um, things, you know, by heart, and that permits you to kind of... Um, find some some focus um so i i think we need more research and maybe there's two things to uh differentiate here if you do this because you have a medical problem mm -hmm. um so like anxiety depression pain um th this is one and, and so there's a number of controlled clinical trials there or if you do this um in a preventive way, um, using an app or um, through a book or whatever, mm -hmm. um, where definitely the message is not, uh, it should be uh, my and only my way. Mm -hmm. Yes, as silly as saying, you know, you should play badminton because I'm a badminton coach. This mm -hmm. is better than any other sport. So um, give it a try and then see, depending on your needs, what works best so that mm. takes some some investment and sometimes it's um yeah uh just important to to have the the motivation because that cannot be replaced by anything mm. um and be careful when you meet people who say you know um my meditation is is better yeah. Yeah. than any yeah. other mm. It's interesting when when you mention you know the 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 intention what what you what you're meditating for for example if you want to reduce stress or anxiety or um, um, any kind of emotions that that make you suffer 
is it according to you or according to science your experience also possible um by meditating changing physical aspects or uh physical diseases i don't know if you are a little bit familiar with the work with joe dispenza you know like meditating to also change physical like cancer or, or um what what's your opinion on that so i i think it's when you mention cancer you need a good doctor so yeah, when you yeah. have whatever medical problem mm -hmm. it's very important you um you go see your uh professional healthcare provider yeah. mm -hmm. and meditation is no alternative for mm -hmm. any medical treatment um and i regret that it's sometimes a bit presented as black uh, and white it's a bit polarized like yeah, since the exactly. book there's a yeah. lot of people coming to see me yeah i don't believe in in medicine um mm, i just yeah. want to cure through med meditation and others then who say i don't believe in meditation uh, yeah. um, so uh to me it's very complementary and and yeah. again when you have a disease uh, whether it's a brain hemorrhage or cancer or whatever um, you need to be in good hands and, mm. and you need a good uh, house phys physician and, and medical specialist and all these um, drugs and, and medical technologies that, that are very important. And at the same time, I think we should give um, citizens and patients a more central active role. Yeah. Um, sometimes we're a bit lazy and I now I prescribe meditation when I do consultations or a lot of video consultations because I'm mm. so much abroad. But um, when I see people who have basically any neurological problem, it goes from pain to headache, uh, sleeplessness or... or anxiety whatever um it's uh not necessarily a pill that is the mm. first or only thing so um if need be i prescribe these but i would also ask well how do you, how good is your sleep uh, mm. do you work out uh, how do you deal with stress um and so there i see definitely an added value for techniques like meditation um but um yeah when when it's a medical problem yeah. it's important uh, not to see meditation mm. as uh, an alternative it's really yeah. complementary mm. and i think we need both what what was for me very surprising when i was reading your book is the facts and i think and it was beautiful to see how you made it a little bit of your life purpose how limited the number of research is done on meditation and mindfulness in comparison with uh, other research medical research where um, where you can prescribe pills and what, what what is this why is there so few research done towards the effects and the benefits of this practice which is in in basic and so simple why is that so it is it is changing uh, yeah. I, I show this graph in the book like um the past 20 years there's a booming in mm. the number of scientific papers just last year 1800 articles okay. uh, in one year so that's that's a lot and at the same time you're absolutely right that 
it's less than there's um, money and and um, uh, investment in in um, pharmaceutical clinical trials and of course that's a big industry we need that industry um, and I'm also a bit a bit sad that when I go to medical conferences of course uh, it's so much about the, um, the drug interventions and and I think way too little about mm. our own lifestyle changes and mm. it's not only meditation also physical exercise sleep mm. um, what we eat and so on and so forth so optimism is a moral duty mm. I think it is changing and we'll see more of that uh, and just like the uh, pharmacological interventions we need to be very clear what's the indication what are possible contraindications what are also mm -hmm. the possible negative side effects um, so that's ongoing it takes time it takes money um, but uh, it is it is happening and uh, we have a, a trial going on on people who had cancer where we propose next to the classical treatments mm -hmm. radiotherapy chemotherapy um, and, and the surgery uh, how you can improve patients quality of life with meditation mm -hmm. but also for example with uh, medical hypnosis which is something we've been using for a long time in the hospital um, so again it's this complementarity mm -hmm. yeah. between top um, medicine and technology with mm -hmm those lifestyle interventions mm -hmm. that I think is, is going to be way more important in uh, the, the field of medicine in, in years mm -hmm. to come. How, how was it and how is it to be a medical doctor, a neuroscientist who is uh, promoting a subject like meditation? Do you, and how do you introduce that into the medical work when when you say now we're doing trials and with cancer patients? Uh, is there a lot of resistance with with your colleagues or in the medical industry or in in hospitals for that matter when you you come up with this topic? Yeah, you know, let's do something with meditation. Or yes, because um, we uh, were not thought this during our uh, training mm -hmm. so yeah. myself meditation was never mentioned in in medical school or afterwards when i specialized for neurology so because we don't know it we um, might have um, yeah um, negative um, uh, we, we 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 could see this as something potentially dangerous mm. and it it there is definitely some some resistance, but again, now there's a number of uh, incredibly um, good research uh, teams doing wonderful work. So it it is changing, um, but it takes it takes time. It might uh, be a generation or two before you know this Still. will really get. I I think so because um, yeah. And that evidence builds up slowly and then yeah. um, you will need the, the younger doctors who yeah. uh, grew up uh, with with this evidence that that will yeah. really make it part of their uh, mm -hmm. of their practice that's also mm -hmm. why I believe that patients themselves 
are are being more empowered and um will um yeah uh change the way i used to do medicine with basically making your diagnosis and then prescribing a pill mm-hmm. and the patient is just passively um you know, um, undergoing things uh, that that I'm very much convinced will will change in in years to come. But but it's a slow process, and absolutely right there there has been and still is some uh, some resistance mm-hmm. from peers. What what was for you the, the the changing point or the trigger to to see a patient not as a passive being or a passive human being, but rather as an a, Rather, your view as uh, empowering him. Do you remember that moment, or was it was it more like a yeah, phase? It's a, or... it's a process, and of course, going through things yourself, uh, growing yeah. a bit older, and um, <laughs> now father of five. So, so you you have uh, experiences that that shape how you're also going to practice your mm. uh, your profession. Um, and it's it's again not only meditation um i think we spend a lot of time behind screens um Mm. and we should work out more it's very important uh sleep is very very um is is key when it comes again to neuroplasticity and to uh, uh yeah how uh a number of diseases are are um be caused or or getting worse through uh, bad quality sleep. That's why I made a, a book about it also. Yeah, and, beautiful book, by the um, way. So I, yeah, I'm really more and more convinced that uh, it's um, way too simple to just mm. uh, tell people, okay, take this pill, this quick fix, and and everything's gonna be solved. Yeah. So uh, now also. Uh, uh, asking people about uh, how is your uh, quality of, of your work environment, mm. of your relationship. So mm. it's um, all of these things together um, and and working as a team. So you have the, the physician, but you have psychologists. I think there are still mm. many barriers to uh, um, what what they do and and that's a pity uh, there's still some mm-hmm. stigma huh? when mm-hmm. uh, you don't feel well uh, and you can't go to work it's still a bit different than when i can't go to work because i broke my arm and that's visible that's accepted mm-hmm. uh, so things like burnout depression still um, are less well well accepted and mm-hmm. again that's um, I think good that as a neurologist, a brain scientist, we just um, share what we know and what we can um, map and, and mm-hmm. uh, objectively measure in terms of uh, brain changes there. Yeah. In the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned, um, I am not a Buddhist, I'm not a Zen master. Yet you have... Uh, well, you did a lot of research with with one of the uh, the personal assistant of the Dalai Lama. You even had a conversation uh, with the Dalai Lama. How do you look as a at a, at a point of view from a scientist to the spirituality or the religion behind the um, the origin of meditation? But it's not only in in the East. We also in in the West, but we often forgot uh, forgotten 
our own meditative practices from uh, the Catholic uh, background or the Jewish back background for that matter. Uh, how, what is your relationship with that as a scientist and with studying this, these subjects that come from different kind of religion, but also have different other things like reincarnation? How do you, how do you look at that? I'm a physician and not, yeah. not a priest or a philosopher, <laughs> so I um, stick to the the evidence. Uh -huh. um, and um, yes, also here in Canada, uh, we're now studying uh, First Nation and, and uh, Inuits and, and Native Americans, where uh, they also have their traditions. Eh? Yeah, exactly. Christian. Yeah contemplatives uh it's not just buddhist uh no, exactly. meditation which sometimes is a bit uh, seen too much i think through that angle mm. while it's of all times and of uh, all places um so yes what i propose of course uh, as a neurologist is is free of any belief system mm. it's training your attention um and what I would often propose are these eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction practices. Mm -hmm. um, now, if, if people um, in that journey uh, are interested in their own spiritual journey, of course, that, that is mm -hmm. not for me to um, um, give, give my, my opinion. As a scientist, I can answer that, yes, there is... I think uh, a difference between the pure knowledge and so mm -hmm. as a scientist I want to understand and um, get objective measures um, to explain the reality of the universe outside and mm -hmm. my internal universe, which is one of science's biggest mysteries, my own consciousness and mind, um, and, and how one still, um, I think, needs to emphasize the, the difference between knowledge and experience mm. um, and so this kind of you can call it spiritual uh, path or or quest uh, mm. is still ongoing um, uh, how of course as a physician when I see uh, a child being born one can say well I know can explain this biologically uh, I don't think we fully can and so at one mm. point you're just um, amazed by the the wonder of it all mm. and and that uh, to me was also a kind of process to um, next to the pure um, knowledge to appreciate that there's also just pure experience and that's why mm. I enjoy so much the retreats and the discussions with all of those, um, yes, um, wise people who um, share with me their their own traditions. Mm. Is it? It sounds a bit like. Is it for you the experience not to understand what you are experiencing? Um. Well, I I think it is important to um, try it out yourself. So when mm. we had Mathieu Ricard and these um, yeah. Buddhist monks, and, and um, it was not so easy for me to 
bridge from my objective measures yeah. when they're in the yeah. brain scan I can um, uh, quantify um, measure what's what's going on but I also need to uh, of course uh, somehow understand what they were feeling experiencing mm. in that uh, very moment so both for the studies on, on meditation but also hypnosis um, it was very helpful to uh, go through those experiences myself mm. um, and I think that's the big the big challenge in my field I'm, I'm trying to understand human consciousness yeah. um, so we also understand top athletes and artists and as we said entrepreneurs and, and astronauts and um, so of course I cannot try all of these things out but but I do think it's important to uh, what we call um, the neurophenomenology so exactly define those thoughts and perceptions and emotions and then um, bridge to the objective measures coming from the from the brain scan so that's that's a challenge um, and then personally of course it's it's wonderful I enjoy very much these these retreats I was um, a couple of months ago in, in uh, northern India in Sikkim for a 10-day silent retreat which is just wonderful and is different from reading about this in, mm. in books it's different uh, than the theoretical knowledge or even talking to people who did it mm. so um, yeah I think it's again very complimentary mm. We're almost at the end of the podcast, uh, Steve. There was another question that popped up. If, imagine we are in 10 years, we are 10 years, we are 2033. What kind of mystery would you like to have seen resolved or open or clarified? Well, my passion is human consciousness. Huh? Mm. I think um, it will take probably more than 10 years. We don't mm -hmm. know how much we don't know when it comes to understanding our own mind. Our ignorance is still huge. Um, so we'll take a couple of Nobel Prizes, I think. Uh, but I, I believe this is not only important to understand our humanity and what makes us different mm. that we talk a lot about now artificial intelligence and yeah. robots and the avatars and um, the metaverse and so on and so forth so I think in these times it's important to reconnect with our humanity um, and as a physician of course I want to translate that knowledge to better care for patients so we mm. have our ever expertise, of course, the damaged brain, people who had severe traumatic injuries or mm -hmm. from concussion to, to coma and, and intensive care and neuro rehab. Um, yeah, so that's something with the team we will continue to be aiming for. It's to um, increase our understanding of human consciousness, to translate that to the clinical reality and help people with brain-related diseases. And that is one out of three um, in Belgium, in Europe. So um, I hope in um, 2033 that uh, we'll be able to, um, to do that better. Mm -hmm. um, and um, not sure if the mystery will be solved though, but at least mm -hmm. we can uh, aim for some, some progress. Lift the tip of the, the veil. 
beautiful, beautiful. Mm. How, and that this is my last question. How do you want to be remembered, Steve? Oh, I, I think we're just, um, uh, very, very small, of course, in, in, um, this tremendously big universe where, um, uh, I hope that, um, those who, who know me, of course, family and friends will, um, have some some good memories and, and a bit broader the, the students and the patients will um, appreciate me for um, what we what I try to to do um, working with uh, palliative care and, and, and rehab with people who are also uh, often at the end of life I know that um it's not just the work that 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 counts so it's again finding this this balance which is also a, a very challenging and active mm. uh exercise uh for me but yes i um i'm already very happy now with with what um we could do and five wonderful children um my 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 wife i hope um they will um keep some some good memories but um we're just a little particle in in the bigger uh hole and i've got uh, no desire to uh be in uh you know uh, i don't like the personality cultists or mm -hmm. Um, to um, orient my my uh, daily activities too much towards mm -hmm. whatever um, price or appreciation or so. Um, in the meantime, let's appreciate the little things. Huh? That's mm -hmm. that's what truly counts, and we'll see what mm -hmm. happens when we're no longer there. Well. I must say, Stephen, thank you very much for this beautiful podcast. And if I may add, you can hear it in your voice that you're a practitioner of meditation because you have this smooth, calm way of speaking. And it's, it resonates also in your books, what it brings to the practice of meditation. You can feel it from your book and also from your voice and your podcast, how it calms down the nerves and calms down the brain for that matter. So Thank it you was so a, much. So it was an honor reading your books and an honor of just this, having this conversation. And I hope that also the listener is very inspired by what you do. And maybe those who were not just have this, had this little doubt of, um, starting a practice of meditation i hope uh, with this podcast and with your book uh, they start tomorrow or even after this podcast so thank you very much and also to the listener um thank you for again listening to studio stain and i hope uh, you are inspired again because that is my mission personal development and growth for a changing world so 
Thank you very much and see you again. Thank you very much, then. Take good care. Starting a practice of meditation, I hope, uh, with this podcast and with your book, uh, they start tomorrow or even after this podcast. So thank you very much. And also to the listener, um, thank you for, uh, again, listening to Studio Stain. And I hope uh, you are inspired again, because that is my mission, personal development and growth for a changing world. So thank you very much and see you again. Thank you very much, then. Take good care. Thank you very much for listening to Studio Stain. If you want more inspiration, just go to my website, studiostain.com, or go to the Spotify website, iTunes, on inspirational leadership. You can also share this podcast with others who might benefit from listening to these inspirational talks. Thank you very much. Great people.